0: Hi, it's Chris Watkin here, and I'm joined by Daniel Harrington, who is the um, Fine & Country MD of Global Growth. Thanks for joining me today, Daniel. I want to talk to you about your state agency journey, so the boys and girls out there in the state agency land can learn from that.
1: Is that okay? That is absolutely fine, thank you. Good yes.
0: stuff. Um, Daniel, you are big in the game at the Fine & Country Network, and Fine and & Country are certainly pulling their socks up in terms of an estate agency brand to help independent estate agents grow in that upper quartile area. But what I want to do now is instead of talking about your current role, which is boss man of global growth, I want to take the step all the way back to to your childhood to find out why you wanted to become an estate agent, how you became an estate agent, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, the hopes and dreams, to find out why you are where you are now, and what you'd have probably done differently. Is that okay?
1: Absolutely, let's do it.
0: Good stuff. <laughs> so, um, how old are you at the moment, Daniel? I'm actually uh, 37. 37. <laughs> Good stuff. Stopped stop tracking it after a Must, while. Have, must have been <laughs> a, a tough paper round. I'm only pointing your leg. Um, When you were at school, did you want to be an estate agent? No. What did you want to do? I hadn't decided. I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Where did that come from? Your mum, your dad, grandparents, friends, families? Um,
1: Family were entrepreneurial. Okay. So what, mum and dad? Yeah. uh, Father did a bit of property development, did a bit of all sorts. My grandfather was a real out there kind of guy Uh, in the 70s. He bought half an island for super cheap in the british virgin isles and tried to develop it but that meant building the roads building the harbor building everything from scratch he was very he used to call it his robinson crusoe days
0: and did you ever go to ireland yeah.
1: i did i spent a lot of my childhood there outside of hurricane season helping my father who worked for my grandfather okay. build out there, yeah.
0: do you think can you see the attributes that your grandfather had passed on to your father or was it almost like slightly watered down because obviously your grandmother
1: no i my my father's also very entrepreneurial um there's 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 costs that come with that if the the markets change so i have um I have some good memories and some bad memories of things like the the interest rate rises in the early nineties meant my father was very overexposed in the property market uh, but he for a few years became a window cleaner so i've seen a good life and I've also seen some hardship as well, which is always. Made me uh, realize how important it is to to work hard.
0: And looking at your father and your grandfather, was it was it the money that was of interest, or was it just the thrill of the chase, or a bit of both?
1: I think it's always a bit of both, isn't it? You, if you find something that you love and it pays well, then that's fantastic, isn't it? What did your mother teach you? English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when things hit really hard times, actually, um, I was eight, nine. I was in primary school and I got pulled out and my mother, I was put into a local primary school where I was not doing well and in the end my mother homeschooled me through the 11 plus. So she could say she taught me, taught me that, got into the, the Colchester Grammar School which, was, um, which has opened a lot of doors to me since, yeah. So you've got a lot to thank your mother for? I do indeed, I continue to do so, she looks after the kids this weekend. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks
0: so you- mum. So you, you, your dad and your granddad taught you how to be entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. taught you how to take the rough with the smooth. Yes. I mean, that must have been a bit of a come down for someone who's multi, you know,
1: lots of, and then window cleaning in the early 90s. Yeah. I remember walking to the post office to pick up the tin meat um, that came with the benefits. Yeah.
0: So you went to Colchester Grammar School. Yep. You still wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yes. I was, I, I. I were you like, like selling sweets in the top I, shop? I was
1: doing things, I'd buy Spice Girls pictures and frame separately, frame them and then sell them at a 300% markup to the other poor, starved boys at an all-boys school. Without going into too much detail. And you didn't get into trouble doing that? No, I did get in trouble when I was uh, selling fireworks, but... Okay,
0: well, that's probably... And were your parents encouraging you this, or did they know you were doing
1: it? Uh, no, they, they would encourage the, the safer versions of entrepreneurialism. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Not, not the fireworks. Didn't so much appreciate um, a Where's bag it? full of illegal things coming back from a French field trip. But never <laughs> wow, we've all been there,
0: haven't we? <laughs> oh, 14, 15, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so you were selling spy school pictures and also <laughs> illegal fireworks. Um, how did that entrepreneurial ability manifest itself as you were getting towards your GCSEs
1: I I remember doing very well in the um, what was it called young entrepreneurs um, challenges that they hold at the grammar school where you're given a seed fund and you have to spin that up um, I was also though all through, through school and through university I worked my father had a deal whereby every pound I earned he'd match um, which encouraged me to I was obsessed with Lego, earned £10 and I had a £20 box, but I'd, oh. I'd get to £20 and I'd Were think... You space Lego or a different type of Lego? Uh, space, pirates, oh, yeah. medieval. I've just found it all, actually, clearing out the garage. It must be... Have you still got the boxes got for The it? boxes and the instructions. Oh. And I looked on eBay and I'll never sell it, but my God, if times get tough... I
0: know. I <laughs> have a bit of a space Lego freak. Oh, and my bloody parents gave cool. it all away.
1: How well did you do at your exams? Um, I was... Okay. I was good at GCSEs and A-levels. I found it all very easy until it got tough and then suddenly realised I had to actually revise. When did you find it got tough? I'm... University year two. Okay, so which unit did you go to? I went to Essex University because at the time I was working actually in a family business, organising events, mostly car boot sales and markets. So throughout university I was on site in a field on a five o'clock on a Saturday and Sunday morning which, and I was always designated driver.
0: And what course did you do? Was it in the Colchester as well? did you do it in the same town? Well, or?
1: much to the chagrin of my master's at the grammar school, I, put, I applied to go to Essex Uni so that I could continue to work in Colchester.
0: And Essex Uni is in Colchester.
1: Mm. Yeah. So you didn't go to student digs? I could see Dicks. it from my bedroom window. So you didn't go to student digs or anything like that? I did, actually. Um, by then, I was... Um, uh, my mother would have preferred me to be in student digs, even though I could see the uni from... You did you nip out? Oh, of course you nipped home. You were working Saturdays oh, yeah. in this. So what course did you do? Uh, economics and business management. Okay. But I enjoyed economics at A-level, so, so that's why I carried that up. You said in year two it hit home, it all of a sudden got a bit hard? Well, frankly, at A-level economics I did, I did well at. And the first year at university was a revision of my previous economic hmm. studies and so I realised I didn't need to attend lectures and I didn't really need to do anything but show up for the exams and that bit me on the bottom in year two. What happened? Uh, I didn't do as well as I should and could have done. Okay,
0: you passed but you scraped through? Yeah. How did you get a third or a Desmond due to? Uh, that,
1: yeah, let's just say it, it it didn't fulfill the expectations of my previous uh, teachers and my parents. Was that the first time that you failed pretty big in the exams? Yeah, yeah, well I was relying on the exams and in my year three exams I got mumps and couldn't sit many of them and I hadn't bothered to do any coursework because I knew I'd be okay at the exams, which was again, it was a real, it was the first time my my... So it hit you in
0: year two, but you didn't learn your lesson no, in year exa- three?
1: No, and, and they say what, uh, a stupid person learns from their mistakes, a clever one learns from someone else's, I don't know what I am if I didn't even learn from my own. But it was the first time, really, I got a real, actually, you need to think things through and work really hard at whatever you do.
0: Were your parents disappointed that you... Well, you had the excuse of months, though. I,
1: yeah, and uh, ex- they, they they were sympathetic, but they also knew that I could have done so much better had I really applied myself. Did you go and retake it, or did you just turn it No, I'll be honest, the family business was really, really busy at that point, and... Um, I was working full time long, long hours and I never went around, never thought I'd need it. And it's only as I got older and I thought, do you know what? I don't actually have a CV. I've never had a job. If, if you don't describe working for yourself, excuse me, as a job. Um, yeah, I, I, it's one of the reasons I, I went for this Dragon's Den opportunity, not the Dragon's Den, a regional feeder. Um, that emulated it in Essex. But that was in 2012.
0: Yeah. You and must have left university in 09-10.
1: Yeah, so we had... But with the family business, it was... It's, it's, and I, I am fully humble here. It was organising car boot sales. And it was an incredibly fun, engaging and lucrative business.
0: So you did that in your 21, 22, 23s. Did you start to set up your own business or was that just... Well, I,
1: I set up an advertising company. We were having... 15,000 people a week through our our boot sales, and so I set up hoarding along the side of the ins and outs and sold advertising space, a company called DNS Advertising, and um, that was almost as lucrative as the boot sale, because of course, targeting to the right demographics, those businesses, any any local business wanted to target local people who were interested in thrift or making a few pounds, really uh, found it... Profitable to, to, to advertise on those internet. It's like football, what yeah. f- do you see around football stadiums? yeah. So you were organising car boot sales. Yep.
0: You were making a mint selling banners.
1: Yep. Were you,
0: was life good at this point?
1: Uh, yeah, I, well, I was very, very busy. I bought an old warehouse in an area of Colchester called Lexton and I got planning permission to knock it down and build a pair of semis. So I was also at the time building my first house. And intentionally, aside from an architect, my family gave me no help because they said I had to make all the mistakes myself, which is why it came in twenty percent over budget and a year and a half late. I had some very miserable days, but because I, I how did you feel that your parents were almost saying you'll learn by your mistakes at the time? I loved it. I I was there from day one. A lot of the demolition I did myself, which was fun. But I also asked all the the um, I was doing the subcontracting, so I was asking all of the lab, uh, the the various trades to quote without labour, and that I'd provide the labour. And it was sometimes quite fun turning up on site on their first day, and I'd say I was the labourer, <laughs> and they didn't know But I was also the person who had, who had commissioned the work. Um, very, I, was, I got very fit during that time. Heartbreaking at one point, we failed a building inspection. Had to knock down one corner of the building and, and, and relay all those bricks. But um, it, it put me in, in good stead. A lot, of, a lot of evenings there, chiselling away at cement that had bridged the cavity because i'd hired a sloppy bricklayer and i didn't know enough to know that he was doing it badly but those do you think they're good lessons you learned fantastic lessons i also got to spend some really good quality time with my grandfather who, who would help me on site if things got really tough um and if it was something that i needed to save money on he and i put up all the joists ourselves he taught me how to to do it and we'd be up on the scaffolding uh, Doing a lot of it ourselves of an evening, yeah. Because I was still working from five in the morning at the boot sales and I'd be finished by about two, three, so then I'd rush down to the boot sales. But that sale. was
0: weekends, what were you doing during the week? No, Wednesdays and Thursdays were boot sales as well. Okay. And the days before I'd be setting them out. Do you think in hindsight you could have outsourced setting up at five o'clock? And...
1: Uh, theoretically, yes, but it needs, it's a lot of cash and you've got to trust that, that there's no temptation. So you need to be there, open the gate. You, you could hire a student to open the gates at five, who then doesn't turn up, and you've got 800 sellers and 5,000 buyers wanting to get onto that field, Yes. and the gate's not open. Are you a bit of a control freak? Uh, I don't think I'm organised enough to be a
0: control freak. Okay. What, what do you think your skill set is then?
1: I mean, are I, you a big picture sort of person? I, uh, no, because you're a bit of a data geek, aren't so you? So, I do love my data. I'll tell you what I think, I think my strength is. And it's always hard when someone asks you your strength. I think I'm very good at absorbing information. And I'm good at relaying it in a concise and understandable manner, um, which is essentially the job role that I have. You take a
0: complex idea and distill it down into something that's Into likely. its essence. And
1: also I like to take ideas from all over the place and com- see how they could combine to make something larger than, than just those things individually. I, I'm into the strategy. Um, but everything has to be data first until you know the foundations on which you're standing what's the point of having a strategy.
0: Where do you think that has come from? Because that's not a normal estate agency trait.
1: No, it's all people it, it,
0: orientated. It's all fe- touchy-feely, cuddly.
1: I got in a lot of trouble. As soon as I was 17 and had a driving licence, I started and I had a laptop. So this is quite high, high level. I, I started going to the local orc- car auction place and I created a spreadsheet and I'd reference on it at what price point cars were selling there and what the biggest delta was between what you could sell them on Autotrader. And so then I started buying cars and then cleaning them up and selling them off of the driveway, it's my mum's car, um, on Autotrader. And the markups were good, The only, the only, only, but I, I did it very much, right, where, where is the biggest delta here? What can I afford to bid to? It wasn't a car for me, though of course I quite enjoyed driving various cars. Um, Only downside was there was a few characters, local characters who had some various car forms sewn up and the reason my data was wrong because no one would bid against them and I bid against them and had to have a few hard conversations (laughs) which I lost.
0: So, so the Colchester car mafia, then. <laughs> I, 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 they still no. live around Colchester,
1: but I upset I a few people by bidding. I had, I, I, I had no idea. I was the youngest in that room by twenty-five years. Okay. And I thought, have you bid on any
0: cars in the last
1: ten years? No, <laughs> not so. Let's let's move. Let's move
0: on. Okay. Um, you're a property developer. You're getting up at four in the morning. Not a property developer. Okay. I've built a ha- pair yeah. of semis. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's still the most. Um, you're getting up at four in the morning to open a field. Yep. You are in your early 20s.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How the hell did you go from that to becoming an estate agent?
1: Uh, it's a story. It, I, I have no idea how. It's just opportunities occur and you end up taking them, I think. The honest answer is we had a real backward step in our business. We rented the fields from the farmers and one of the particular farmers on our most lucrative boots. I decided he wanted it to go to his son. And so kicked off. We had no contracts. And I suddenly thought, wow, if this happened with three or four sites, I am up the river. And found another field? Yeah, but people know where to come. And it's, it, it's, 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 you know, take 20 years to build something up to where it's really, really, really high level. You've got to offer them a lot to not just go to where they've always been. Um, but I, and I remember, you know, when in the early 90s when my father lost everything, he had a degree in French, but he never used it because he worked for the family business. I've now done the same. I was uh, recently married and we were thinking of family. And I thought, you know what? Um, I don't have a CV. I've never had a job. I work hard, but I've never had a job. And I remember, you know, at that time when my dad, be- my mum started driving a mobile library, and my dad became a window cleaner. And and there's there's no um, uh, there's nothing wrong with those professions, but it was a really hard time. I remember us losing the cars and the house going up for sale, and all the things, the luxuries that we had disappearing. And I thought, if I'm going to have a family, I don't want to make that same mistake. I'll admit, I didn't plan to be an estate agent. I didn't actually go for a job in agency. My wife had found a, a piece in the local newspaper for a regional Dragon's Den-like competition for those that are out of work. And I didn't necessarily meet those criteria because I was it I was working but I didn't have a job, if if that makes sense. And she thought, she said to me actually, and you know, I have to give all the praise to her, she said, look, you know, go and see what it is that you could do. So so I said yes, and I wrote them Let's say that I'm not technically out of work, I'm not um, on benefits or anything, but, and I have a successful life, but it would be lovely to stand in front of the Dragons and see uh, they were going to be the chief executive of Essex County Council, the chief executive of Essex Chambers of Commerce and other well-known businessmen in the area. So I said yes, and then I forgot all about it. And then it was the next day, and I had to submit a CV and a product, and I hadn't got a product, and I hadn't got a CV, and quickly put a CV together. Um, walked in as a, I was a bit of a cocky git. as a what, twenty twenties. Yeah. <sighs> walked in. Product I'm here to sell is took the blanket off the box. Empty. The product I'm here to sell is me. I got an absolute battering from the dragons. Um, one of them, who I really appreciate, Adrian Pritchard. He's just retired, actually. I've kept in touch. I wouldn't hire you to clean my toilet with that CV. Um, what do you say to that? Um, ended up in a really good, really long. Is it? Is it was at the um, town hall? This thing. I was there for about forty-five minutes. Long story short, ended up having second meetings individually with them all and got four job offers. What away from the away
0: from the competition? Come and
1: work for us. So, I, <laughs> so they, they slagged you off in front of you? Well, so, that was the beginning. Yeah. Then the conversation ended up improving a bit more. So, you convert, so it's like classic Dragon's Den, bad start, but you, you got yeah, better. Yeah, we ended up talking for ages. I was the last person today and we went on for about 45 minutes. And we, got, we all got on really, really well. I had a job offer to, to run the waste management services for Essex County Council, running the, the bin lorries, which would have been uh, a job fantastic bit a bit rubbish so Sorry, adrian pritchard probably <laughs> do you know we'll talk about marketing later i'm sure but i saw uh, the most amazing you see people say plumbing van we're passionate about cleaning u-bends which i doubt i saw an even better one in barbican in london the other day and it said on the lorry and it was a bin lorry our business is rubbish and actually that i thought is a very very mm. good summary but anyway um god what was i saying yeah so so he actually told me Adrian Pritchard was the CEO of um, Essex County Council but he also moonlit as a careers advisor for executives in London and he said I'll offer you the job but don't take it because the public sector will kill you as an entrepreneur if you come in work in that environment you'll die um, various other offers but the the one that really didn't interest me was a man named Paul Beresford who owns Beresford's estate agents it's a 10-12 branch firm uh, in Essex up the A12 corridor with a country homes department and he offered me a job to come work as an estate agent and you know knowing what I know now is different but then I said I don't want to be a salesman and I certainly don't want to be an estate agent and um It was his response, actually, that set me on the path, I think, to where I am now, 10 years, 12 years later, whatever the timings are. Um, He said, Dan, I'm not hiring you to be a salesperson. I don't need that. I don't need an estate agent. I want you to come and work in the country homes department. And in that department, the houses are all beautiful. The houses sell themselves. What I'm looking for is someone who can communicate and look after and liaise with the affluent property owners I don't need a salesperson, a estate agent. And the conversation went from there. And I ended up, yeah, I had to do three months of shadowing the associate director of the firm to learn a state agency and how their content management system worked. But um, three, three months later, I was in as assistant manager of the Country Homes Division where, where we would, from centralised in Chelmsford, we'd look after everything that was listed, landed a question or over a million pounds uh, across the offices of some of the officers further up towards Suffolk had lower price points, and yeah, and that was that was how I got into agency. But but from day one, Paul, who I owe a lot, taught me how not to value property. What that do you mean by that? He said never. You can't give it a value. You don't know what it's worth. Nobody knows what it's worth. You need to give them a, a guide range and talk about how you're going to sell it or how you're going to get the best price for it. Now, I've been lucky enough to end up working for Find a Country and that that core, that core understanding, I think, of the country homes market has been able to be really distilled and fortified with the additional tools that you get with, with finding a Country. And now it very much is a you know, value proposition as opposed to a... We'll come back to Find a Country in a
0: fine. second. Walking into, let's be honest, upper quartile, the people that tend to work in upper quartile estate agency... Yep tend to be your weight rosy silver spoon, um, stiff upper lip, those sort of things. How did you... F- and I'm making sweeping statements You are you? making sweeping, sweeping okay, statements. Okay, then. <laughs> Probably the Savills and Knight Franks of this world. Well, okay, but anyway. Um, how did it feel walking in as a 23-year-old, with, with the utmost respect, a 23-year-old... Um, car boot sale organiser yeah car boot sales organiser <laughs> and I bet you they know they'd have known anyway becoming the assistant manager on day
1: one so so I think a lot of it was because I've been to the grammar school had I not I know I was born on one, when it was built Grinstead estate in Colchester which is where I was born is one of the biggest council housing estates in Europe um I think what I learned Going to the grammar school is is to be a social chameleon, and I could fit in with the, the blue blooded Suffolk lot, but I could also go on the rampage in Essex with the the lads from the estate that I'd grown up, and um, I think in in any sales environment you need to have yes. some some an ability to, to mirror who you're talking to. Is that inauthentic to do that? Um, I wouldn't say so. No, you're just relating to the person as long as you can. Un- to, to mirror them, you need to understand them. And if, as long as you understand them, then you can add value to them. The, the critical thing with a, an affluent customer is that, and I'm sure we'll come on to this later, that they don't make their purchasing decisions based on cost. They make their purchasing decisions based on value. They can afford to pay a proper uh, sum of money for what it is. They're much more interested in service. And and I think I was I was... I was young and I, look, I made a lot of mistakes, but my first solo market appraisal was one and a half million pounds. And I never felt intimidated by it. In fact, I was completely clueless. I remember going to a market appraisal, my third one, and ended up, um, he had a wine delivery and we ended up drinking until the point I couldn't drive. And that's get a taxi home. And I just thought that would, that's a good thing to do, but it was a bit of a, that's not really done, Daniel moment. Did you get the listing? Yes.
0: Did you sell it? Yes. For a well, million pounds. Well, then that's that's the thing you do, isn't it, it?
1: That's what I thought. But but that that
0: well, that is the you, you deal with the customer in front of you. I dealt
1: with the and uh, Mr. Gunn was very very friendly. He recently bought his kids a tank. As you do <laughs> for the garden, an armored vehicle of or, or some yeah. such. Um, wealthy man, and he appreciated that I appreciated him opening a couple of bottles of wine, and I didn't think anything of it. I had no prior experience, if you like, and just assumed that, you know, if he wants to share a bottle of wine with you, you should. How did you take that criticism when you got that? Right. Uh, mostly bafflement, but it was pitched that we can't be allowing all of our other agents in the company to be operating like that. But you were the upper quartile. you were the country homes department. Yes, I, I think it wouldn't help. I've gone there in the, in Paul Beresford's Range Rover Sport. So you'd
0: left it there. So Paul couldn't get home that night? Well, no, he had my car. Okay.
1: And the next morning, my dad drove me back to his house. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, uh, it was part of the learning curve. You made
0: branch manager by 14, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. enjoying life? I, I,
1: I, I enjoyed it uh, a lot. There was um, so much going on, and I was covering a huge area. The, the frustration at the time one of Beres' biggest competition was actually Finding Country in Essex at the time and and just seeing properties that we had buyers for come on the market with Savil's Knight, Frank or Finding Country and we hadn't even been invited out to, to speak to the clients before we went on the market and that that I didn't understand. I didn't understand because we would be able to sell it so why haven't they called us? But it, it's... I think a lot of agents
0: watching this will think the same.
1: Yeah, it's... It, it, and you... you, you You'd go up there and you'd go and, and deliver a magazine and try and speak to the customers. And I'd, 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 you'd mask it, of course, but I'd, be, I'd be angry. I, I could sell this. Um, and I mean, 14 was a not bad. You know, it wasn't as crazy. It's been for the last few years, but it no. wasn't a bad market. No, um, the, the stamp duty was, I, I remember, that was, there was a lot going on at that point around the stamp duty. But again, over 975, it's actually pretty much irrelevant. And, and it's all, it's all part of the chain. You know, it, 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 it wasn't, it didn't slow down uh, the premium market in any sense that I could see at the time. You said
0: you were angry. Do you think that was in hindsight, the best emotion? No, it wasn't at all, but I just. You were letting emotion get in I the said, way of logic because you're can, a data geek. You're I can a, sell this house. I can earn the money
1: from selling this house. Why have you put it on with? What answer did you get back from the people? Cause I at least you I, went and knocked on their door. And I didn't the say ragazin. I was angry. Um, they just said, well, we, we just felt we needed a premium brand.
0: Now, you went to become a regional business development manager no. in 15 for Finding Country. No. Did they approach 15, you? in
1: 2015.
0: Yeah, sorry, I did that <laughs> in 2015. Yeah. Did they approach you or
1: did...? Yeah, well, it was through a, um, a uh, what are they called? Recruitment agency. Recruitment <laughs> agency. They contacted me. And it wasn't a business development manager role. It was... Um, to be branch manager at the Cambridge Funding Country office, oh, yes. that was what I was interviewed for.
0: Fair journey from Colchester. Yep. If you don't mind me saying, further and further as you go through the 2010s, you're going further and further away from your entrepreneurial roots.
1: See, I'd absolutely disagree with that. But tell me why. So... Because you, you weren't doing the car boats at this time. Were you? No, no, that was the condition with Paul, that when I started that, I had to stop, stop doing that and, and leave it all to my father. So really, your money must have gone down? It's horrific. And I'd split the company into different limited companies and was paying myself a salary under 30 grand from each of them so that I didn't have to pay my student loan back. <laughs> and going to POMIE... <laughs> Uh, 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 a fairly modest basic salary was a real... real you
0: couldn't, you couldn't even be there on the day helping out, you know? No, 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 that was the condition, because it was...
1: He wanted me, you know, committed. So I had to completely...
0: That's pretty big, though, isn't it? To, to, to
1: give up that money. It was, it was, but I knew that I could always go back to it. It wasn't that I'd sold the business, it was my father was doing it. But, but also, I wanted to get on a career ladder and have yeah. a CV... At the time was before we had children and all the rest of it, you know.
0: Because you were worried that
1: what happened to your parents in the downturn of 92, yeah. 93 would happen that, to that, you? That, that kind of thing. I, and I also wanted to know what I could achieve. You worry when you work for a family business that you've only done you, it because of what your family have done as opposed to what can you go out and do on your own. Did you want to
0: prove it that you could set up on your own two feet then? Uh,
1: there was a degree of that, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, what does your wife do for a job? Uh, she was a lecturer, but she, with two children now, she doesn't, she doesn't what In lecturing in what? Uh, she was, her, uh, computer programming. Okay. Um, but she, and she was, she'd gone above that. When I met her, she was managing, in the public sector, she was managing the learning shop scheme in Colchester. Okay. Um, for those that are job seeking, that need to up, up train. She'd gone away from lecturing and was managing the... How the did you up, guys meet? Over 25s night, escape night, club, Colchester. It's now a, a development. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, it's amazing, actually. That's where her parents had met. Right. But it's, um, yeah, I wasn't 25 at the time, but it was over 25s night. But well, I had to go out Wednesday nights because that was my night where I could not have to go. Out <laughs> night. That's a granny night. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you define a granny as 25 plus, I don't know what it's like. It might be in, culture, in some
0: parts of <laughs> <a> Colchester. <culture.
1: laughs> <laughs> cut that bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll everything's that relative
0: way. right and we'll keep Ugh. that in Don't worry. And you said you disagreed with me that it was stepping away why
1: do you say that Well, I was, in, I was interviewed to be a branch manager at, uh, at, at the Cambridge office but Ma- Malcolm Lindley owned the Cambridge licence mm-hmm. and having gone through the interview he said I, I would offer you the job but I'd actually rather you come and work for us in Park Lane doing what? I so I don't know. <laughs> so someone else, yeah, Beres, Paul Beres had spotted your talent. Obviously he did as well. Um, well, I'd, talent, I don't I, don't, I don't, I can't, I can't attest to that, but I think he saw that I had a background in, set up my own marketing company yes. and I'd been a bit entrepreneurial. He was an entrepreneur, but I had enough experience at premium agency that I might be an asset. I think I can't, okay. I'd never, I'd never, um, assumed to put at my mindset where Malcolm really So, what did he do?
0: Set you up as a business development manager? Yeah,
1: then? regional business development manager for the north. So, I had M25, M4 corridor north, which was great because I lived in Colchester. But, but more critically than that, he actually asked me, he, he said to me in the first, he said, go out into the network for three months and you tell me what you think
0: needs doing. And when you say business development, that's, is that not looking after the existing ones? That's growing the network? Intrinsically linked. You can't do one without the other. So you were looking after, you were looking look, after the existing members. You are an account manager for the existing ones. Yeah. Posh, you might not like the phrase, but yes. Yeah. And grow and grow the network. Yes. Which bit did you like the
1: best? And I know you say they're linked. They are too linked. The, the care we give the members is not account. You need account management. Our job as business development managers is to make sure they're always growing, sharing, increasing their market share, increasing their fee. And actually it's that support that we sell. Yes so so you have to be doing that
0: to enable you to sell to i hate the word sell. you have to be doing that to ena- value. to allow others to realize their value is there so they 100%. buy it
1: yeah and look did you enjoy that though i love i love all of it it's 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 completely okay. circular and instead of being an entrepreneur and there's a there's a second factor to being an entrepreneur i am sh- i get to travel around the world seeing how the best local independent agencies succeed with the finding country brand and then i have the luck of excuse me, being able to share that with the rest of them and with new people joining. Would it be fair to say that, therefore, it is the thrill of the chase
0: that excites you, as opposed to the actual pure zeros on your bank account? I know, obviously, there's a link there, but but by the sounds of it, you're getting the thrill of being an entrepreneur by growing the network. And I know, obviously, you're going to be compensated for
1: that. Thrill of the chase... Not, I don't think that's the. I, I think there's a better word than chase because, frankly, uh, we are not chasing the network, and actually, we're not chasing people to join. Okay, but the, just the the thrill of the hunt. In so much as if if you're hunting to kill, for me, a kill is when you see a business either go from amazing to great, like even better, or a, a business that's perhaps not doing so well suddenly turning things around. Yeah, yeah that that's, that's what. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I love learning, and I love learning taking all the. The Finding Country Network is an odd beast. Um, some say it's like herding cats. Others have said it's like herding cats with dementia because everyone has their own history, their own ethos, their own local knowledge. But, but actually- And
0: they're their own bosses. Who they're all their own bosses. They're you can't, can't, tell, bosses. can't tell them. Because I used can't. to work for Belvoir yeah, Franchising. You can't, can't tell them what to do.
1: Yeah. You can't, um, you can't do the dictatorial but, bit. And who, you know, some of them have been in the industry longer than I've been alive. I'm not going go to go to them and say, you should be doing this. For the first three months in the job, I just went, went around the network and asked them what they were doing and what, their, what they were succeeding at and what their challenges were. And I remember coming back and speaking to Malcolm and David and I said, look, if we want to grow the network, let's stop s- just selling licences to mm-hmm. those that will have it at whatever fee we can sell
0: it at. Anyone, any, anyone who's in an a state agent with a Pulse, you can buy one. Is that what do you think? I
1: no, okay. No, but was there wasn't, for, for me, there wasn't a real, really clear um, strategy. strategy. And and my thought process was well, let's go a little bit slower to go bigger. And if we help okay. the network do better, because it, it was will, very it's, siloed. It, it will it sell itself, because it people would, want to yeah. buy it. I got, I, well, they'll expand. Yes. <laughs> but it was very, very siloed, and, and there wasn't much communication between the licenses. There was, of course, there was, but there were some engaged members and some not so engaged members. Some who had had it. 21 years old now so 13 years is that my maths right yeah 13 years some who'd had it two years some who'd had it because they didn't want anyone else to have it um and yet you get an agent doing amazingly well growing 10 percent market share average fee of two percent 10 miles away there'd be another fine and country licensee who was almost off the radar with no success or or low fees and yet they've got the same tools, the same competition, the same customer base, the same property types, uh, and and so I really went on a mission, if you can call it, to to learn from the best, but to share best practice. And there are so many exciting. Yeah, the key the key part of the Fine Country network, for all of its quirks, is that. It's entrepreneurial, independent, local agents with good local knowledge experience, but who are also dynamic enough to, to invest in okay. the brand and they, they're yeah. always coming up with but great ideas. You can ideas. get that with a franchise,
0: you can get that with the guild, you can get that with RAN. What makes Finan Country so
1: different? Finer Country is a lot more expensive than any of those things. Okay. But just because it's expensive doesn't make it better. No absolutely but people wouldn't do it if it wasn't giving them a return on investment. True. It's 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 not so much well, it's certainly not a McDonald's franchise. You don't put Fine & Country up above your mm-hmm. office and and wait for the business to come. It, it, it would be good if it were like that, but it doesn't. It's very much old school foot-leather phone work and now, of course, social media and, mm. and, and digital marketing. But those that invest in Fine and & Country, and they're not doing it to necessarily make more money out of what they do. They, they Different companies joined, but the majority of businesses were were joining Finding Country or part of Finding Country to add an additional revenue source into their business. So they might have their lettings department, mm. they'd have their middle market department. At, a lot of people were talking about having an online, market, online yes. agency department at the time. That seems to peter out. And then they were looking to maximise the revenue out of the, the premium market. In that yes, because
0: there's a lot of agents who are really good in that middle market, but find it, there's almost like a glass ceiling to break into the, you know, the million, yeah. or whatever the upper quartile well. is.
1: That's what Funny Country was founded for 21 years ago. It was... By John Cook? By John Cook and Malcolm, yeah. First office, Bishop Storford. And, and then it was, you know, the big, the big national international corporates, the Knight Frank devils, were, were coming out of London in the early 2000s oh. as the property prices were increasing. And suddenly you'd have a third-generation local business that had sold everything from the little shed to the big manor house. Yes. And suddenly that manor house would rather go 25 miles to Lincoln then work with the agent who sold that manor house in the last generation because their perception was it perception, it's not perception, perception, perceptions, reality, perception isn't it? Is reality. Uh, and Finding Country was originally founded by John and, and Malcolm to either help local independent agents attack or defend that premium market, whether they were in it and they wanted to keep it, or they couldn't get in it and wanted to attack it. That's what Finding Country. Because it's
0: interesting, I know you moved up through national, international. Uh, growth uh, guru of 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 finding country and and again I have access to some stats the same stats i know you do uh, and in the last few years you really have pulled up some trees haven't you yeah market share for the upper quartile
1: yeah we we you like
0: i mean i've looked at and i looked at the market million pound plus whole of the u k and everyone's been dropping apart from you guys and you're blowing th- out the water
1: yeah we're we're doing we're doing well as a network that's for sure yeah and what do you put that down to? I think two things. Over, over the time that I've, I've been at Finding Country, I've seen a real change and a real clarity and focus on the core of Finding Country's proposition to a, to a, an affluent or high net worth customer. But also, we haven't just grown our market share because our agents are doing better. We've grown the network a lot, which is... Oh, Oh, it's not the right word, but it's an easy way of growing market share is opening oh. eighteen offices in London over the last eighteen months. That's that naturally as soon as they start penetrating. But just their because markets, you
0: open a branch doesn't mean you're going to get properties.
1: Absolutely not. No, no. There's a lot. There's more work that goes into onboarding and looking after a, a licensee than there is in selling them a license. We don't sell a license. We explain why it's expensive and and we explain to them how to get the best out of it. And to be honest, a lot of a lot of the we'll call it the sales process of a license, is actually the beginning of the onboarding. Um, our key is that it will only work if they don't need us and that we don't need them, but that together we can, we can make a lot of revenue. Then, then it will work. If it's, Finding a Country is not something that will save a failing business because it will put too much of a fixed-cost burden on it. But if you've got the right mindset
0: and attitude, yeah. I mean, I've got a, lot, a number of clients that have bought your franchise license, and so we're not allowed to call it a franchise A license, from you either as an associate, uh, independent people, or as a branch, branch-based network, yeah. and they're loving it. Yeah. Others are available. Got to say that. <laughs> but if you think about it, it, if you think, and again, we're going to go into a lot more detail in another video. As a, as a franchise stroke license model, yeah. you're very much buying the brand of finer country, aren't you?
1: Uh, yeah whilst a lot of
0: the others it's not so much the brand
1: well people by people but in the premium in premium industries it's not just our industry, in premium at the premium end people by people and brand uh, and it's about i hate to use it reassuringly expensive mm. but also a confirmation that they'll get the levels of service they expect as well as the levels of value um and and it, it just it just it just is that way it's it's Does it suck if you're an independent business? Yes. Um, I've felt that pain. But you could be... I sometimes use an analogy, actually. You could have built the best possible sports car. Best engineering with the best grip. But no one's going to buy it because it's Fred Smith on the back. Slap an Aston Martin badge on it and it'll sell. But at the price point, you've built the best sports car. You can't sell it to the mass market. It has to go to to affluent to customers, and, and, and I don't like to overuse car analogies anymore, um, but I, fall, I always find myself falling into it. Everyone knows it. Yes. So,
0: um, you've just been made Managing Director of the Global Growth. Yes. Um, you're in your mid-30s. Yes. I know you've only just started, I mean, let's be honest, you were doing the job before, you've just got a fancy title now, don't you? Can't deny that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> what's the future for you? Yeah, you know, you've got another 30 years in this industry. So,
1: so in this industry, I always, until this self employed model came up, I'd always looked at it and thought, you're never going to be really wealthy unless you got your name above the door. And it comes back to that entrepreneurial piece you asked about one of the things Malcolm Lindley always said to me was saying, Dan, if you want to make a million quid, make me ten million and he always used the phrase build a business within a business and he's always he always encouraged that when 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 Malcolm sold out and John Cook took over he's been very much the same John Cook is the entrepreneur that's you want to watch and learn from and emulate if you can and he's been free he and I together aren't always the best combination because we're ready fire aim sometimes or particularly I am but but he again, he gave me the freedom to build a business within the business. And, and I, I try and think about it. Obviously, we are a business and I am an employee and we are owned by Nurture Group, which is in fund, of course, owned by an investment fund. So there is there is, of course, that you are answerable to to the stakeholders. But but I've always, I think, subject to success, been given a, a fair amount of freedom to operate. How, how do you like to be managed? Uh, I am very aware my line manager watching this, but I, I if my numbers are good, leave me alone to some degree. I'd rather measure output than input, but I understand if your numbers drop, you do need to get into the detail. I thrive on constructive negative feedback. I find people are often reticent to give, not negative feedback, constructive negative feedback. I, I, unless you're getting that, how can you improve? Mm. Um, I can't stand moody. But fortunately I've never had a moody boss. They've always told me exactly what they felt, which I, I, I respond better to. But for me, I i like a line manager that can nurture me and put me on tracks. Right, you wanna get there? Right. These this is the tracks and these are the stations along the way that you need to the expectations you need to meet, the responsibilities you need to meet. Um because I have I have a lot of experience in some things. I'm also weak. I'm happy to, you know, oh. I'm weak in experience and in other things. So so I want to always improve and keeping an eye on where I'm weak um, as opposed to the bits I, I know I can do. It
0: must be quite good fun to work for a firm. You know, you've got, we've already mentioned John Cook. I mean, he's been on that sofa once and he's coming back again in a few months' time. Right. Uh, wow, he's exceptional, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, truly exceptional. And you've got iMac, McKenzie, yeah. who is, who's whos who is... Again, one of those people that is just absolutely top right. Must be wonderful, and obviously you've got Nikki Smith as well. Um, must, and there's obviously others in the in, yeah, in, in the organisations. It must be great to work with some great people.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've never had an original idea. Um, I just have been lucky enough to learn from. I mean, what's the the cheesy one? Standing on the shoulders of the giants, right? Yeah. And that's all very well, where right? you can easily fall off and knock your head, right? Um, I've I've just been lucky enough to work with, with, as in within the firm, work with and for some fantastic people with amazing experience. But also, you know, I'm going out into network. I'm not just being a business development and telling them what to do. I'm learning from them all the time. And and I joke, I'm 37. I did a calculate a, a back of a fag packet calculation, with the the, the 250 plus locations and how many business owners we have, I calculated that I've got something like 3,000 years of agency experience under my belt by going out and learning from all these people. And and again, I've made lots of mistakes. I've had licenses join and fail. I've had licenses join and succeed. I've had succeeding licenses stop and fail and failing licenses start to succeed. And and I've made mistakes in the recommendations I've given businesses, but I've also seen businesses make their own mistakes. Um, And I think if I am good at my job, it's because of how many times I've either got it wrong or I've seen it go wrong. And I think that's, that's quite a handy resource to have for the network. You know, my customers, my customers are the business owners. Their customers are people in high value property. Thank you for your time today, Daniel. Thank you.